Hello, Sabres fans, and thank you for joining me for yet another late-night edition of the Sabre Talk podcast. This is Mark Geis, your host, and here to talk about another pretty uh, slow and, I would say, boring game. Well, the Sabres lost 2 to nothing to the Kings. Tanner Pearson, he had both goals for the Kings, and Jonas Enroth had the shutout versus his former team. Uh, with a lot of, I mean, he didn't face a ton of quality chances, so... The way that the Kings played tonight certainly played a tremendous role in, in him getting a shutout. But I always liked Enroth, and um, I, I do wish him the best, not against the Sabres. But it's good to see him playing well this year overall, and he continued it with another shutout tonight. Made all the saves he needed to make. I thought the Kings just played a really great game. And they slowed the game down, kept the Sabres to the outside, played a very structured style. Uh, it's, it's really exactly how you want to play with your backup and net against a team that struggles offensively and is playing their third game in four nights. And this is the way the Kings play a lot of the time, which is why they're a contender, which is why you can never count them, count them out uh, for making the Stanley cup finals, winning a cup. And I thought their, their big guns played especially well tonight. Kopitar had a really good game was protecting the puck very well. Uh, He had a great pass at the end of the second period that just stands out in my mind. And Drew Doughty, I thought also had a, had a very good game. Like I said in the opening, this is a boring, pretty boring game overall, which is what I predicted it would be in the previous podcast when I did my preview for this game. That's just the way that the Kings play. It's the way the Sabres play, too. So when those team, two teams meet each other, you know it's going to be pretty, pretty slow-paced and there's not going to be a ton of action. They're both trying to limit the scoring chances of the other team. Obviously, the Kings play that style much better than the Sabres, which is why the Sabres are at the bottom of the standings and the Kings are near the top. But they both, that's how they want to play. And they're two pretty low-scoring teams. So it makes sense that, that this, was the, this was the game that it was. And it, it was compounded by the Kings having their backup in net, so I think they're going to play even more more defensively. And also the Sabres being tired, playing their third game in four nights on the West Coast. I thought I had, I'd been negative about Jack Eichel the last couple games, but I thought he was the Sabres' most dangerous forward tonight. And it was his best game since O'Reilly went down with his injury. And he wasn't he didn't play a perfect game. There's some chances I wish that he could have buried or gotten better shots on net with, but he was dangerous, which I think against this team and with the pressure that's being put on him now, I thought this was this was a, a really a really great step for him. And it was nice to see against such a good defensive team that played especially stifling tonight, I thought. So they played their style to the utmost, yet Eichel was still able to get his chances and be generally pretty dangerous. I thought the third line, again, you guys are going to think I'm a broken record, but I thought the third line, again, was the Sabres' best overall offensive line. And I know I've said that quite a few times recently, but I thought it was true yet again. They were really the only line that was able to sustain consistent pressure and to to do their job. I think, to the utmost. And I know I said Eichel was the most dangerous forward, but that line overall, they weren't consistently in the offensive zone. And I think Eichel was the only one that played really well on that line. Uh, so another great game from that from that Larson, Gianta, Felino line. I also thought McCabe and Bogosian, that was the Sabres' best pairing yet again, which I also said last game. So once again, you're going to think I'm a broken record and just recycling what I've said previously. I thought Pesic, he, he played noticeably well again. And 
McCabe and Bogosian, I thought they're probably the two, the Sabres' two most physical defensemen in the lineup right now, and they're they're figuring out their chemistry. Neither of them, neither of them are perfect. They both make their mistakes, but I think together they they've figured out how to how to really be effective. And Pesic, considering he's playing with Carlo Koliakovo, who I thought again struggled, just isn't handling the puck well, and he's made quite a few clears that that. Just I, I don't know exactly what he's doing, and he, he tends to give the puck away off the boards, doesn't make a, a solid first pass. And I think considering who he's playing with, I thought Pesic played quite well. Robin Leonard, he was the Sabres' best player tonight, and he kept them in the game throughout the second and third periods where there were several long stretches with the Sabres hemmed in their own zone. And he made some big saves. Yes, he gave up two, but... Considering all the quality chances that he faced tonight, I thought it was a really, really good game out of him. So he's he's continued to, to hold down this number one job really well, and he's rising to the occasion uh, with his first real extended opportunity to be a number one goalie in the NHL. So he's making Murray look good. I, like, I, like I've said multiple times, I'm still never going to like that trade because I think it was bad value at the time, but he really saw something in Leonard, and he's showing us this year that he's – that maybe he was worth paying that price. We'll see. I mean, still a lot of time with him. So the rest, rest of the way down the stretch this year, and it'll be interesting to see him go into next season healthy and see what he can do. And this, this team. So, I mean, those are the main positives that, that I took away from this game, but the team definitely was worn down by the end of this game. Really the second, the last two periods, first period, I thought they, you know, they didn't play great, but they kept it pretty even played. I think, Bilesman would have been happy with the, with what they did in the first period, but the last two periods were were pretty bad, and that contributed to this game overall being quite boring to watch. And it makes sense. I don't want to make excuses, but you're playing in a different time zone, having three games in four nights against three good teams, the three, the only three good teams in that division, and two of those teams I would call legitimate Stanley Cup contenders, being the Kings and the Ducks. So considering all of those things, it made sense that that they wore down. And also losing a guy like O'Reilly coming into this trip. And your team struggles with depth anyways. And so they always tend to shorten their bench at the end of, end of the game. And so I think they get even worn out than teams normally would if, if they really if they were somewhat deep. But not having depth, it really hurts them on, on these types of trips. Now... Specific negatives, I thought Jamie McGinn was invisible yet again. I'm going to talk a, talk a little later about what I see his trade value being, but he wasn't there tonight, and it's been that way for a little while now. And he, when he's not when he's not contributing offensively, and he's not on in the offensive zone, he doesn't bring anything else to the table, and you can you don't notice him a whole lot otherwise. And I thought this is one of those games yet again, like it's been for the last couple. I thought Ristolainen also struggled. Overall, I just really wasn't a big fan of him or that pairing tonight. And I know there's a ton of pressure on him, and it's been on him all year. He's got to be a number one defenseman, number one rock defenseman over an 82-game season when he's still only 21 years old. And that's a lot to ask for a defenseman. And I, I think just about any defenseman out there would struggle under that kind of pressure. But he's had his ups and downs. He had a really dominant stretch offensively where he was really bringing the whole game. But for him to keep that up over an 82-game season, I, I would have been shocked if if he would have been able to do that. And I think it hasn't helped that for a lot of the year he's been playing with Josh Georges. 
and I, I, I do not think Georges is a top four defenseman anymore. I don't know a lot of people that would say he's a top four defenseman. And I think they like him there just for the kind of veteran consistency, I guess. But he isn't fit for that role. And I think that puts extra pressure on Ristolainen playing those kind of minutes with a partner that isn't isn't really fit in terms of his overall play to be to be playing those matchups. Um, but I think it's going to be good for Ristolainen over the long haul, and he's shown enough good. He's shown a lot of good throughout this throughout this season that you've got to love his upside moving forward. And when they can add another defenseman, or uh, you got to think they're going to add a defenseman this off season. And as you see, Pesic and McCabe, and maybe if they draft a defenseman or you know whoever they whoever else they bring into the organization, see those guys grow. It'll take more and more of that pressure off Ristolainen. I think you're going to see him take his play to another level. So I still love his upside, but I just haven't. I, I didn't love him tonight, and I haven't loved him recently. Um, Reinhardt, I, th- I I think he he struggled, which which makes sense with the, with the kind of pressure that's on him. It's a kind of similar situation, but he hasn't been at center this whole season. I think he was sheltered to an extent playing next to O'Reilly. Uh, there are more responsibilities at center, and when you're playing next to a to a real veteran that's done this game in and game out for years now, it's it's different when now he moves to center and he's the guy. And I think this is one of those games where he just he struggled. I know I've I've used that word a, a couple times. And when you get inconsistent center play like like this, it's tough to win. And when you're relying on two rookies, you're inevitably going to have inconsistent center play. So it's understandable. But when analyzing this game, that's that's what you see. It's one of the reasons why they lost. One of the many reasons why they lost. And so hopefully hopefully he can learn a lot during these next few weeks while he's got to hold down the second line center role, both he and Eichel. Um. So I'll get into the deadline preview. I'm just going to update it a little bit, update a little bit beyond what I said yesterday. So I said yesterday I still thought McGinn's value was going to be a second rounder uh, or something of comparable value. But I think looking at the deals that were made today, today being Saturday, uh, I think it's going to be more like a third, maybe a third and a late pick or throwaway prospect or something like that. But I think uh, Teddy Purcell for a third is a pretty good comparable. Yuri Hoodler, he went for a second, and I think he's a step above McGinn. I think he's a, a, a tier above McGinn if you're going to try to rank all these players. But I think Purcell and McGinn, they hold similar value, so I think that's my new comparable. So I think he will end up going for a third rounder. I think he can return a 2016 third rounder, just like Purcell was able to. Um, about Chad Johnson, so the Reimer deal really surprised me today. He was moved to San Jose, which is where yesterday I predicted that Chad Johnson would go. And the Leafs were only able to get back Alex Stalock, who is the Sharks' backup, Ben Smith, who's kind of a throwaway player, and a 2018 fourth-rounder, a conditional 2018 fourth-rounder that can become a third-rounder if the Sharks make it to the Stanley Cup final this year. And... I thought Reimer would get considerably more than this if he was moved. I thought he would get be able to get like a 2016 third rounder or something because he's played quite well this year on a bad team, and I thought he'd be able to get at least a third rounder. But 
to get a 2018 fourth rounder that only becomes a third rounder if San Jose makes it to the finals, which I would be shocked would happen because then they've got to go through, you got to think that they would have to go through probably LA or, or Anaheim and then Chicago. You think whoever makes it to the finals would have to go through Chicago and also one of the other very good teams out there. It might be, could be, they could face Anaheim or LA in the first round and then Anaheim or LA in the second round, Chicago and then Chicago in the Western conference finals. But I don't expect them to make the, make the final. So this probably will end up being a fourth rounder. And there aren't really many destinations out there that make a ton of sense for Chad Johnson, at least not a glaring need for a backup goalie. The Rangers have been connected to some, to some backup goalies. I don't know if they've been linked directly to, to Chad Johnson or not. And, Makes sense. They have uh, anti anti Ranta, and he hasn't had a great year. I think his save percentage is something like 907. So he hasn't been great, and he's not a backup that you would necessarily want to trust. Obviously, if your starter goes down in this league, it's going to be tough to win a cup or to really contend no matter what. But I think you would have absolutely no chance to go anywhere if if Lundqvist was to go down. So. The Rangers will be my new prediction for where Chad Johnson goes. And I think his value now looks like it's going to be like a fifth or sixth rounder. I'll guess that they deal him to the Rangers for Ranta and a fifth or sixth. And whether it's this year or next year, I don't know. But I think I had said a third base yesterday based on what uh, Anders Nielsen went for, who's in the who's in the AHL. And there were still a couple destinations out there where I thought, it might make sense for, for a goalie to go to. But now with this Reimer trade and trying to use those as comparables, I don't see Johnson going for what I expected. I still think Laguan's going to go for fifth-round pick or something with money retained to some team that has a little bit of cap space and wants just another solid veteran bottom six center. So I think there's going to be nothing, nothing huge coming back to Buffalo. Maybe Murray will make a surprising trade. Um, they did make a make a trade today and it was the least eventful seven player blockbuster probably in NHL history. I think it's gotta be. So I'm not going to spend too much time going into to this deal at all, but I'm basically the big pieces going each way, big pieces being relative in this deal war were Phil Veroni, Jason Ackeson, who two, Arguably Rochester's two best players, the Emmerich's two best players right now. Um, going to the Senators, coming back, uh, Cole Schneider and Eric O'Dell, who were the two leading scorers on the Binghamton Senators. So all AHL players, likely all guys with no with no NHL future. Uh, Veroni and Atkinson both are slated to be unrestricted free agents at the end of the year. Uh, Odell also is slated to be an unrestricted free agent, but Cole Schneider is a restricted free agent. And Schneider, he's been productive at the AHL level, never played an NHL game. He's 25, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a few games up with the Sabres. Maybe, depending on if if they trade both McGinn and and Legwand, I could see him coming up and, and getting a shot here. And I know he's shown some offensive ability, obviously putting up good numbers down there, so... Maybe Murray thinks it's worth it to to bring a guy in and see, give him a shot down the stretch. And if you if you like what you see, you can qualify him, retain his rights, while the two main players that you sent out 
are both slated to be unrestricted free agents. And Odell is a former high pick of the Ducks. He was in the, the Jets system. Uh, I don't think he has an NHL future, at least not as an NHL regular. I think he, he's a he's going to be an AHLer long-term, uh, kind of a fringe guy. And I think the same thing about Veroni and Atkinson. So not a big trade, but I think you, you probably will see Schneider in a Sabres uniform at least some down the stretch. I don't know if it would be immediately right after the trade deadline. I, I think there aren't a ton of ton of players down there that to bring up. You have Cal, Cal O'Reilly being scratched right now. He would probably step into the lineup, but if you're taking two forwards out, who else is the other call-up? And Schneider could, could make a lot of sense. So I'm not going to talk about it too much more because I think it's – it's a pretty, and everybody else is going to say it's, it's a very minor deal. But when I saw a seven-player seven player deal, you expect there are going to be at least one or two NHL players in there, but there weren't. And Murray, he's familiar with the Senator system, so maybe, you know, maybe he believes more in Schneider. Maybe Schneider was a guy that he had pulled for when he was there and now wanted to make a move when he saw a chance to, to bring him in because he thinks he may have an NHL future. Um, so the Sabres next game is going to be Tuesday night back at home against the Oilers. It's a nationally televised game. First time McDavid's coming to Buffalo and Oilers are, they're a mess right now. They, they are one nine and one in their last 11 games and their only win in that stretch came in a shootout. And I, I really thought that getting Connor McDavid back would infuse them with some energy pulled them out of the basement at least a bit. You know, you knew, you knew they were going to finish low, but I thought they wouldn't still be comfortably in last place. Uh, McDavid, he's been great. He was injured for a while, but he's 28 points in 26 games thus far in his in his short career. He has been held off the score sheet in his last couple of games, so he, at least he's not coming into Buffalo on a, on a scoring streak. But Edmonton's biggest weakness continues to be on the back end. They still need another rock or two on the back end to really be able to get out of the basement. And it's just incredible that they're this bad again. And I said before, they're comfortably in last place, but they're only, they're only one point behind Toronto, but Edmonton's played three more games. So Toronto, Toronto has three games in hand and you've got to think they're going to pull out some points here down the stretch. And some heads are starting to roll in Edmonton. Uh, McClellan came out publicly and called out Justin Schultz, who has since been moved. who's moved to the Penguins for a third rounder. Uh, Teddy Purcell was moved for a third rounder. They moved Anders Nielsen, um, which was which was uh, inconsequential. He was in the AHL, but they also have the worst goal differential in the NHL. Um, you got to think with all these things coming together, they could be moving another more notable piece at this deadline. I don't know if it's going to happen, but with just how bad they've been and for them to go on another streak like this down the stretch in a season, it, it's just a toxic environment. And you, I really thought this year they would at least, I didn't think they were going to be good, but I thought there's no way they're going to come in last again or, or be in that pack at the bottom of the league. Yeah, they're probably going to miss the playoffs, but they, they've got to be better. Than, than they've been the last few years. Getting Connor McDavid into the mix and bringing in McClellan, who I think is a good coach. But it's just it's just pretty incredible. And I'm not going to make any predictions about this about this game because it's just simply two bad teams. Uh, 
the Sabres have been better recently than the Oilers have been. I mean, nobody's been worse than the Oilers recently. But it's the worst road team in the NHL coming in and playing the worst home team in the NHL. So I guess the McDavid versus Eichel thing will be cool, and hopefully that will get some viewers to tune in from around the league despite this being two bad teams because this is going to be a rivalry going forward. Um, and I, I root for McDavid. I, I don't want to see the Oilers be perpetually bad, especially for what was what has been a storied franchise throughout their existence. But just with how they've been recently, it's it's crazy. And they're going to get another very high pick this year to add to this mix. But I don't know what has to change there. It's the Sabres, at least, you know, it, they've been bad for a few years for, for three years. They've been what I would say very bad. They weren't good prior to that. They really haven't been good since, you know, 2010, 2011. But this Oilers stretch of futility has been, it makes whatever the Sabres have done recently look like absolutely nothing. And I I feel like I'm I'm suffering watching all this losing hockey. And I can only imagine what, what Oilers fans have gone through, especially when they have a, older Oilers fans have a frame of reference where they were winning so consistently back in the eighties and Sabres fans. There've been some very good stretches throughout, throughout Sabres history, but nothing anywhere close to that. Obviously Sabres haven't won a cup. They haven't been good for more than a, say a five year stretch. I mean, they haven't really been contenders consistently over any kind of stretch like that. They've had a few good two, two to three year stretches, and they were dangerous for a decent amount of, of Perot's career, but nothing like what the Oilers did. But then, what the Oilers have done recently, the Sabres also haven't had really in their history that long of a stretch of futility. So, it'll be interesting. I, I watch the Oilers closely because it's kind of fun to watch absolute futility and just the incompetence and and never really knowing what's going to happen next. And I know that's rich coming from a Sabres fan where the team's finished in dead last the last two years. But I want them to come out of the basement. I don't I don't like seeing a team be perpetually bad in a hockey crazy city like that. So it'll be an interesting one and it'll be cool to see Eichel versus McDavid. Seeing McDavid play is always always a treat and he's going to be probably the best player in this league sooner rather than later. So I'll be looking forward to that one. Hopefully the Sabres can can pull off a win against a, a team that's just been terrible, but it'll be cool to see whatever changes the Sabres have made. Maybe a bigger deal happens that nobody's even predicting, and just, just looking forward to Monday and the trade deadline. That's what I'm most looking forward to right now and then seeing what the team look, looks like come Tuesday. So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you're able to stay up and watch some of these late games or maybe all of them. If you haven't, hopefully this can be a good good uh, summary for you, good, good analysis for those that fell asleep. So thank you very much for tuning in and I will talk to you on either Monday or Tuesday. I may do a, a trade deadline edition, uh, depending on how many moves the Sabres make, if they make any more moves. So talk to you then.